1: Welcome to the TWS Sports
0: Podcast. Funny how good you are. I know how good I am. Having three children with autism and being around them all the time, they make me better as well. If Wilkinson we have missed that kick, I'd have been moving house.
2: <laughs> but my favourite one that really made me was my love triangle with Triple H and Stephanie. And uh, how did you get this story? How did you know
1: about this mm-hmm. Hello and welcome to the TWS Sports Podcast, the only podcast in the UK which is hosted by autistic students who interview some of the biggest names in sport. This podcast has been set up by Techno Wood School and our aim is to teach our students new skills through podcasting. Each week we chat to famous sportsmen and women from around the world. We delve deep into their sporting careers, their highs and lows and what makes them one of the best athletes in their sport. All of our students' hard work and dedication has paid off as we've recently won a Global Sports Podcast Award for the best equality and social sports podcast. that's enough for me, I'm going to hand you over to the stars of the show, which are our students who host the podcast, and I will let them introduce today's guest. Thank you.
3: Wood School is a school for autistic children and young adults, and we have set this podcast up to provide our pupils with a fantastic opportunity to develop a range of skills, Whilst interviewing top sportsmen and women from a variety of different sports. Joining us today on the TWS Sports Podcast is an England cricketer. He has played 83 times for England and is one of the quickest bowlers in the world. Welcome to the podcast. Mark Wood.
1: Hello, how are you? Very good, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited.
3: We would like to start our podcast off with some quick fire questions before we start talking about your career. Are you ready? Hit me. Who is the most famous person in your phone
1: book? Oh, I'm going to go with Miles Jupp, comedian. So while you mention him, obviously you do your own podcast with him. Um, That's right. Middle Please Umpire. How's, how's that going?
4: Yeah, it's going really well. Um, Miles is, I think, he's very different to me, um, but it seems to work <laughs> very well. Um, he's someone know from a very different background obviously comedian background but loves his cricket as well um so i'm i'm going to have to say miles is the most famous person before just because i think he's had every act and job known to man so he's he's done a little bit of everything whether it's kids tv he's been on the stage at the apollo so he's he's done quite a bit um and luckily i was i had the pleasure of going to his home club um monmouth the other week and it was brilliant to meet people there and and see what kind of life he lives and it's uh, it's a bit different to mine
1: yeah, I hear that episode. I hear him quite often talk about mom thirds and, and the mm. difference between international cricket yeah, yeah. and club cricket. So no, that was good, good yeah. podcast. He
4: always cool. has to compare, doesn't he? He always has to compare. <laughs> it's always, it's as if he's played international cricket himself, so it's, uh, it's always a good laugh with Miles.
1: <laughs> if you could trade lives with anyone for one day, who would it be and why? Well, growing up, my favourite sportsman, I think I had probably ter- th- th- three or four, I like Neil Ardley from Wimbledon
4: because I, Wimbledon was the team I supported. Um I liked uh, Lewis Moody from um rugby because how could he have a nickname Mad Dog and not be good fun? So he he would have been good fun. But if I could choose anyone, it would have been Lennox Lewis to be the to be the toughest guy in the world, the <laughs> biggest, the best. Um, I think I, I think I would choose him. I think I wouldn't be looking over my shoulder. That's what's sure.
1: Just before we started this podcast, me and Harvey were chatting about Lewis Moody because we spoke to Lewis Moody a few weeks ago on the podcast as well. Yeah, and he was. Mm. Um, good, yeah, yeah, was he good? Yeah, he was. Yeah, really, really well, Maybe I
4: should have picked him then.
1: Uh, <laughs> Blot myself down there.
3: If you could go back to one day in your life, what day would it be and why?
4: Oh, this one—it depends. It, if I could, when my son was born, that was pretty special for me personally. Um, it was a long day; it took a long time to meet us, but um, it was great to finally meet him. Or if I had to pick a sporting one, it would definitely have to be the World Cup, wouldn't it? I couldn't. I couldn't choose anything else. That's the. That was the best moment. If the last. I mean, the game was awful, but um, the last ten seconds of when you know that you've won it, they're the best. The best feeling. And if you could bottle something up, that ten minutes where you're running around the field and you're grabbing everybody and you just feel so free, uh, that that would be the best feeling I've ever. So probably the World Cup if I had to pick one from sport.
1: Brilliant. We'll come on to that in a bit more detail as well. I'm sure. As a child, what is your?
3: Your earliest memory of cricket?
1: So my earliest memory would be
4: um, playing in the back garden with my dad. Um, My dad was an opening batsman for the local cricket club, where I'm from. We used to play in the back garden together. I used to bowl at my dad and I would try and do all the actions of all the players and pretend to be them. I would even stand on the pavement. So we had sort of like um, a long garden with grass on either side and then a path that went through the middle of the garden. And on the path, I'd pretend to do interviews and uh, pretend to sing the national anthem. I always had the best voice. Luckily, there was no one else around <laughs> in the gardens. But I used to sing and pretend that I was, you know, playing in national cricket. And that's probably my early memories. My, my dad threw them to me. I, I remember one day it was in the winter. Obviously, you can't get outside. So we, my dad had a really tiny garage. You could only get a small car in. And he used to pull the garage, the car off the garage onto the drive. So we could play one hand, one bounce in the garage, you know, one hand, one bounce, trying not to get caught. And we had the wheelie bins as fielders, and little bits of gardening tools and things like that. And I remember one day my dad bowled one a little bit short and naturally I just pulled it. I pulled it through the garage window. And as soon as it crunched, I remember me and my dad looking at each other and then we both ran. And the next thing I heard was, Mark from me, man. Um, and we both sort of did a runner out the house. Um, straight into my dad's car. And went, oh, we're just away at the shop. Well, I remember, we got some tape to 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 um, fix the glass. But for those two minutes of the glass shattering and my mum charging down the stairs, they were pretty scary. So uh, that, that's definitely a memory I remember as well.
3: You made your debut in 2011. What are your memories of getting into the first team and making your debut?
4: So I remember the first team was obviously packed full of people who you looked up to, whether it was, like when I played for Asherton, I looked up to the the senior players when I was a younger lad. I suppose it's like any sort of sport. When you're, when you're the guy coming through, you always imagine that you can't reach the heights of the guys that are in, and you just think they're amazing. And I remember when I met my debut, Phil Mustard shook my hand and gave me my cap, which was you know a pretty big thing at the time. He was a Durham legend, and he played for England. And I just remember like coming through, to the first team that I, I wasn't quite sure how it would go I wasn't sure if I was quite good enough or quite ready but then as soon as you play you realise that you can hold your own with these guys and that hopefully you deserve to be there but I remember firstly coming through it was like I'd done well in the second team and I trained with the first team and then all of a sudden the coach had started to take notice of how I was doing and things like that and I just remember feeling a bit overwhelmed a bit like oh, I can't believe I'm playing with like Shibnirayan China Paul, or Dale Bankensteins over there or all these great names that were played by Durham. And I was like sat in the dressing room. And I'm quite a, you know, extroverted guy, someone that likes to, you know, get amongst the chat and be sociable. But when I first got on the team, I was so quiet. I used to just sit in the corner. I didn't want to speak to anybody. But it was great to get amongst them. As soon as I felt at home, which was pretty quickly, I mean, Graham Onions almost took us under his wing pretty much straight away. And he was really good with me. And as soon as I felt comfortable, it was great.
1: You mentioned some names there, and I think if we'd done our research right, am I right in saying you started with Colin Wood, Harmison, Herschel Gibbs, Mitchell Johnson, Liam Plunkett, Chandrapol, and many yep. more? So it must have been quite intimidating yep. to play with these world class test players.
4: Exactly. It was intimidating. I mean, being a lad from the Northeast, I think it helped because it was a north, obviously the Northeast team, and I could sort of fit in with people from the area and characteristics of the local players, and we all had sort of a bond and a connection there. But with these great players, you sort of felt like you had to prove yourself and gain their respect a little bit. And I, I probably the first time I felt that really was at the end of the season. I remember Michael Divenuto, who played a little bit for Australia, and he was a, a real good player. He gave me his locker and his spot in the dressing room. He was retiring and he said, Woody, you can have that spot. This this is your, This is your locker now. I've cleared it out. Put your stuff in there. And I remember thinking, wow, like, I must really have gotten the respect, yeah, this guy's given me his locker. And yeah, that was the first time I think I really felt that I belonged in that team. The only downside was then that I had to sit next to a guy called Callum Thorpe, who um, he didn't take any prisoners. He was an Aussie. And any time I opened my mouth, he'd be like, sit down, you got to earn your respect first. So it was a tough um, tough school to come into, but one which was which great when you got involved.
3: You won the country championship with Durham in 2013. What are your memories of that season?
4: Um, that it was full of local lads, all the legends that we'd mentioned before. A lot of them had gone. It was pretty much, you know, Graham Onions was the senior guy, Paul Collingwood. Then it was like the likes of Stokes, myself, Bothwick, Phil Mustard was still there. So it was, it was very much a team based in the northeast, which was great. Um, it was a team that we weren't expected to win the league. And um, we had a bit of a scare halfway through the season. Jeff Cook unfortunately went down, I think, with a heart attack or a heart problem. So the second team coach stepped in his shoes. So we felt a bit of, that we were doing it for Jeff, you know, trying to, you know, bring it home for him. And I think it was just a, when I reflect on it, it, it was a time where us as a group, we'd all come through the academy together and gone to the second team and then into the first team. And we were playing very much for the area for the, the values of the team that everyone carried. And it was really special, actually, when I think about it of you know, being able to carry off that win. And one thing I'll never forget is the coach Alan Walker, who was the bowling coach. We beat Yorkshire at Scarborough. They were second and we were first, or, or, or we were second and they were first. And it was a real like this is the game. Monday night football, everybody would talk about it. You know, the commentators are on it. It was followed by everyone, and we won that game at Scarborough. And the bowling coach Alan Walker. I remember at the end of the game. He had the team flag, and he was throwing the team flag around his head, dancing the Diastreets and um, Walk of Life. And I'll never forget that. That, that was a big moment. And and Collie Collinwood said at the end of the game that that game felt more like a Test match than a than a county championship game. It was it was that good quality. So to be a part of that and part of a, a championship win side, it was like you know, taking off something in your career that you thought would never happen. And, And that was definitely something that was brilliant and I'll never forget.
3: You then got called up to the England squad in 2015 to tour the West Indies. You didn't play in that series, but tell us what it's like to go on your first tour with England.
4: It's fantastic. Fantastic. I was never going to play the West Indies tour, but it was the first time I'd been sent a blazer so i had like an england blazer which was amazing i was like you know i've never been sent anything really like that for free or anything like that so i was like wow this is quality i get a free blazer i get a shirt and tie this is quality and then we sit in business class i was like i've never flown anything but economy i was like wow look at all this leg room i'm not a big guy but i was like i'm definitely using this extra leg room here and um, so we got to fly business class he got a blazer he stayed in some fantastic hotels you got to play cricket and i got to be amongst the best players in the country it was awesome even though I was never going to play, they were just, I think, just getting a look at me and seeing how I interacted with the group and how I got on with the other guys and what kind of person I was. So I think they were weighing all that up. But, you know, it's funny, now that I've been involved with England a lot more, the players, wives and their partners, they often get to go on tours if you're away from home for a long period of time. And funny enough, the the player, the player, wives and the girlfriends never seem to miss the West Indies trip to the Caribbean <laughs> uh, with all those sandy beaches and lovely hotels, so it was nice to get to know everyone and their partners and their families and the Caribbean is definitely one of my favourite tours, just because it's just so beautiful.
2: Here at the Amethyst Academies Trust we are incredibly ambitious for our schools and our pupils and we believe that there is no ceiling on what can be achieved by anyone. Working in partnership with Penhall School and Techno Wood School We are proposing to refurbish the beautiful Penhall Mansion, a Grade 2 star listed building in Wolverhampton, into an exciting and professional specialist vocational college for young people aged 14-19 to with special educational needs and disabilities. Changing the face of employability for young people with SEMD, the college will offer specialist career pathways and in-house vocational learning experiences for students that will be open to the public. Students will be able to develop their skills, knowledge and flourish in confidence across a wide range of audiences. We need to raise £400,000 to refurbish the mansion and provide accessible and stimulated learning and working spaces for students and the community. We are relying on public donations, business relationships and support, no matter how big or small, to make this college a reality for our students. Donate today. Go to www sedgwick.aatrust.co.uk Sedgwick College Discover Bright Futures
3: You made your one day international debut a few months later against Ireland What are your memories of that game and were you more excited about getting your test call up or your one day call up?
4: (laughs) Great question. Great question. Um, I think I was probably more excited for the Ireland game because I knew I was going to play. with the With the West Indies game, I wasn't oh, West Indies tour. Sorry, I wasn't quite sure I was going to play. So to to know that you're going to play a game for England was so exciting. Even more exciting, the fact that you know playing Ireland, I felt like I wasn't the only one that people couldn't understand because no one could understand anyone from the Ireland team either. So <laughs> I seemed to fit in quite well that game when I was doing interviews and things like that. So. It was it was a nice game to be a part of. Obviously, it didn't finish the whole game because it rained a little bit, and a bit of sadness around the the fact that the coach that picked me was then sacked after that match, which was a bit a bit controversial. But to to make my England debut was really special. Ireland always want to beat England, funnily enough, and, and and they're not you know so friendly towards the English. But um, I got a nice reception when I was there, and everyone was really kind. So definitely want to remember and. I couldn't believe it. Even, even like when you get your cap, so they shake your hand, they make a nice speech about you, and then you put your cap on. I remember putting my cap on, thinking, "Wow, like this is it? I've got my own number on, and and this is my cap." So it felt really special. Who gave you your cap? So Andrew Strauss gave me my test cap at Lords, but my one-day cap—I kind of actually remember now. That's that's pretty bad, but I think think it would have been. Paul Fabrice, because he was one of the coaching staff at the time. So I think it would have been him that presented me in my cap, but I'll have to have a look at my phone because I still got the pictures. You get sent the pictures of who gives you your cap. And I remember when I got my test match cap, Andrew Strauss presented me with that one. He made a lovely speech. And I left my sunglasses on. And I remember thinking, now I look back at the picture, I was thinking, what was I doing? Like how disrespectful is that? Like you're getting your cap and I'm there with like my cool shades thinking I'm cool, like a cool dude. Like, what am I doing? Yeah, I should have took my my car, my sunglasses off to receive my car. I still still regret that to this day.
1: Coming on to that, then, so you made your test debut against New Zealand in yep. Lords as well. So, what was what was that like? Do you remember your your first wicket? What what was it like in the morning of the game? And what was it like playing in probably the biggest or the most iconic venue in the world? It was crazy because I've
4: never played there before. Every time I've been to Lords with Durham, I was twelfth man. So my first game at Lords was for England in a test match, which is. You know, not normal, but it was extra special. I remember, you know, the food was amazing. Everything was pristine and and proper and a little bit posh, which I wasn't used to. The grass was like Wembley; like nothing was like every blade of grass was the perfect height. Those that's quite a big slope at Lords, which everyone talks about and like you hear it on the TV. But until you're there, you're like, wow, actually, there is a big slope. Um, And it, the TV probably doesn't do it justice to when you're playing on it. I remember the crowd being a little bit like, like hummy. It was like, and like constantly, it's like almost like a bee. And you think everybody's talking about you, like you're looking in the crowd as if, what what are you trying to say about me there? But it's definitely got a lovely atmosphere. And my first wicket, actually, my first wicket would have been a Belton wicket as well. It was a 93 mile an hour ball, good edge, straight to slip. Alistair Cook takes it, but it was a, a no ball. So I had that to deal with. So it didn't actually count. But then the first test wicket, it was caught Joe Root, so an iconic player, and I got Brendan McCullum out, so that's brilliant. The fact that it was a third man, which is on the boundary miles <laughs> away from the player, doesn't matter. Everybody I speak to, well, it's caught Joe Root. It was obviously a great catch at slip, an excellent ball. Yeah, he didn't try and slog it and got caught at third man. Like, like was the the truth. What was that um, wide, when he
1: just uppercutted?
4: Exactly, short, <laughs> a bit short and wide. He tried to pull it and it, it got like a sort of splice edge. I went to Joe Root third man, but in a scorebook it says, caught Joe Root, balled Mark Wood. So it was obviously a Jaffa that <laughs> nobody could play. Um, and that's what I'm going to tell everyone.
3: <laughs> you were then selected to play in the 2015 Ashes series. Talk us through how you hear about getting selected in squads. Do you receive a text or phone call?
4: A phone call. So um, the, the national selector, I think it was James Whittaker at the time, he would ring me up and say, Congratulations, Um, you've been selected and you're obviously delighted. The ones you don't want is a text message from Twitter saying, Hi, man, can we have a quick chat? You then know that something's up. He rings in, he's like, Got some bad news. And then you know straight away, but the congratulations one's a, a great phone call to get. And he just said, Oh, we'll see you down at the ground. And um, yeah, I remember I played, I think, four, four out of the five games. The first one was at Cardiff. So the, to play Cardiff was was nice. Um great support all week. We put in a great performance. Um my first taste of Ashes cricket, um first taste of the Australians, first taste of Mitchell Johnson, which is a bit scary. especially when he said you're dead mate. That was a little <laughs> bit scary. But um the rest of the time it was it was almost like surreal, like you were part of it. You feel like you you're looking from outside within. I mean I missed there was two balls I remember in that game where I didn't even look at the play. Mo and Ali was bowling and the, the Barmy Army was singing Mo and Ali's song. Ten men went to Mo Went to Mo and Ali. And it got down to one. And they were singing ten men, nine men, eight men, seven men. And I was too busy looking up like that, looking back at the crowd. And then I turned around and Mo had bowled the ball and I hadn't even seen it. I thought, Oh, I better not tell anybody I haven't seen the ball here. I was too busy watching the Barmy Army to realize that I hadn't even been looking at the player. Kind of bad that isn't it? But it was a good, <laughs> good
1: song. Speaking of Mitchell Johnson, then, and obviously he's one of the quickest bowlers in the world. As a another quick bowler, do you have like a secret sort of code? Like, Because if, imagine if Mitchell Johnson bowls you yeah. a bouncer, you're going to bowl a bouncer back to him. Is it like kind of yeah. a secret? Oh, he's a fast bowler. I'm not going to bowl a bouncer to him.
4: Unfortunately, not. I wish it was that way. Um, <laughs> you sort of have to get it in first nowadays. Um, it's sort of, everybody sort of bounces each other now. So I think back in the day when there wasn't helmets and you know, the batter maybe didn't stick in as much. I think they used to just pull up the stumps and, you know, hope for the best. But nowadays, there's absolutely no friendliness whatsoever. If anything, it's like, oh, we'll, we'll try and hit him and then he can't bowl, I think, half the time. But yeah, Johnson was, he was a fast, nasty bowler. One that you definitely knew, you felt like he was after you a little bit. The humiliation of getting you before, of hitting you before he got you out, you definitely thought that. he had a bit of a snarl and a bad look He had this big tash. So it was a bit like a bit of a mean look, but uh, he was definitely one that I would I wouldn't openly say. Oh, I'd love to face him again. (laughs) Definitely, definitely not. Stick to Nathan Lyon. Exactly.
3: You won the Ashes in 2015. Can you tell us why it's so special to play in the Ashes, and how would you describe the feeling of playing in a home Ashes?
4: I think it's just iconic, isn't it? I think that's the the first thing that comes to mind. Just because of all the history, it's just an iconic series to be a part of. And, you know, I never thought, growing up in the back garden, when I mentioned it before, when I I was England and my dad was Australia, I never actually thought that I would be playing in a series or a part of that. And it's just a a series that when you're at home, obviously you've got all the support. Um, They're trying to give it to the Australians, which is like your extra 12th man. And yeah, you just you're on a on a sort of wave of happiness, especially because we were winning a sort of crest in a wave of happiness that you can't describe. It's just it was a fantastic thing to be a part of. One that you think almost if you if you play for England, it's career defining. And then the playing in Ashes is the biggest thing you can sort of be a part of. So yeah, to, to say that my name is amongst that, even against you know, you think the amount of brilliant players England's had, and some of them haven't even won in ashes. So to say that I'd won one after one chance of being this, you know, young lad, um, was you know really special.
3: The Barmy Army are amazing fans and travel all over the world to watch England. Do they have a song about you? And if so, what is it?
4: Right, <laughs> I'll give my best voice and <laughs> here we go. So the sing. Um, sometimes I actually try and time my run up to my to my song. So it goes. Ah, 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 shake it up, Woody! Now shake it up, Woody! Pace and bounce, pace and bounce. Come on, come on, come on, come on, Woody! Now come on, Woody! Gonna get them all out, get them all out, and then it starts again. Ah, ah, ah. and then this one guy goes. Ah, and then we start it again. Shake it up, Woody! Now shake it. So that's it. And sometimes I try and time my run up, but as I get to the back of my mark when they're just about to go, ah, because ah, ah, then when I start to run in, they start to sing the song, so it gives me that extra push and drive. How was my singing, all right?
3: I think it was good. I'm a singer myself, you see, so.
4: <laughs> right. So could you do it better than me, then?
3: I could probably not do that song, but I could do one.
4: Come on, then, give me it.
3: Okay. Small town in a big hurricane. I got addicted to a losing game. Small town in a big arcade. I got addicted to a losing game. Ooh. Ooh.
4: That was amazing. Eight. You can get in the Barmy Army anytime, I reckon, with that voice. That was amazing. <laughs> Brilliant.
1: Um, so you have sadly also known for being injured quite often, so I suppose, as a fast bowler, injuries are part of the game. Um, how do you deal with that and how frustrating is it and how do you deal with it mentally when you're away from the game for so long
4: Um, it's tough Um, probably a couple of times with ankle surgeries I wondered whether I would actually get back at all to to the level I thought I was capable of or reach the potential I thought I was capable of injuries I think are like you mentioned part and parcel of it but it seemed to be that I had a run of you know four or five injuries where I was constantly getting injured and it was really frustrating you've just got to keep having that drive and belief that it will come good. You know, I think in, inwardly I had that self-belief that, you know, I could reach the the level that I thought I, I potentially could reach. And if I kept going, that with a bit of luck, the injuries would subside and would find the right formula. Out. And then all of a sudden I would push through. Um, and up until very recently, where unfortunately I've had another one, and this time on my elbow, I'd put a good run of games together and felt like I was bowling faster than ever. So if I can get through this injury, I'll hopefully quickly get back to that and, and feeling like I'm, I'm on top of my game again.
1: After your elbow surgery, was your, your arm still attached?
4: <laughs> You've obviously seen the videos then. Uh, yeah. Um, I honestly can't remember seeing half of that stuff when I was coming out the anaesthetic. I was saying, my, was my arm attached? that chilled. That was another one I don't really remember. Saying that I loved gravy. Yeah. I mean, it was good fun, but maybe I needed some of that stuff more often to keep myself uh, on cloud diner.
1: That'd be a good, a good show. Mark Wood on anaesthetic.
4: Yeah, I think it could work well, actually. I mean, I, like, I was, like I say, I wouldn't remember. It's sort of weird. It was like I would say it, and then after I think that I'd said it, it rather than thinking what you're going to say and then actually coming out with it, it was like I would just blurt out with stuff and then think, oh, have I just said that? And not remembering and <laughs> crazy.
1: Yeah, made for good watching anyway. Yeah.
3: You then went on tour to Pakistan. What are your memories? If that tour and what... Type of person are you on tour? Do you like to go out and about or stay in and play on the PlayStation?
4: <laughs> so, on tour, I think I try and get out and say things that's on tour because often you could just go on tour and just be in any hotel room. So, you could be in a hotel room whether you're at home, whether you're at, abroad, and it's just another hotel room. So, I always try and get out and about and do something different. In New Zealand, um, I remember me, Liam Plunkett, and the team, the Mark Saxby, we went on a little road trip. We went to a place called Raglan, and it was beautiful. We spent a couple of days there at the beach, and um, it was a bit of like a hippie town. So it was it was like the Wild West in America. It was real. It was good fun. Other places, I mean, the Pakistan to the UAE, we went on things like, you know, went to the the water park, or we would go on the sand dunes and things like that, which was great fun. Um, we saw a camel one day at the beach, which was something I've never experienced before. That was a little <laughs> bit different. But yeah, i always try and get out and do things. Some of the lads love that golf. Other lads love the PlayStation and the Xbox and Call of Duty and things like that. But that's not really for me. If I was to play any computer games, it would be Mario Kart. That's the that's the <laughs> one for me. But I
3: personally play a lot of PlayStation.
4: Yeah, what's <laughs> yeah, what's your, your favourite game?
3: Oh well, I'm into the Uncharted franchise. And is it good? Yeah, I find-
4: Would you ever play Call of Duty?
3: Yeah, I've got Call of Duty, um, Modern Warfare. FIFA? Hmm?
4: FIFA. Do you play FIFA as well? Some of the lads play FIFA, Call of Duty. Do you play Mario Kart?
3: Oh, yeah, I play that on my Nintendo Switch all the time.
4: (laughs) And who's your favourite character?
3: Obviously Mario.
4: (laughs) Mario, I'm a Yoshi man. Gotta stick with Yoshi. Mm. He's my favourite.
1: Is he the little green crocodile? Yeah.
4: Yeah. Yeah yeah he's the he's the man to be i reckon he shoots like little eggs he's the man yeah
1: so who's the the call of duty king or who's the fifa king
4: so uh, fifa king i would have to say would be you know adil rashid chris jordan they love fifa but your call of duty pretty much nearly the whole team play it now ben stokes is right into it at the minute uh, yeah chris Walks plays it i know a lot as well it seems to be like when training's finished they're like right who's going online i'm like oh how about lads let's go to the cinema or let's uh, like, no, no, we're going to play this first. So I'm often off, off, I toddle by myself or, you know, with I think Jack Leach, he doesn't play a computer games, So it's often me and Jack Leach, we'll toddle off for a coffee or a cup of tea or something while the rest of the guys play Call of Duty or FIFA.
3: You must have seen some funny pranks from your time with England at Durham. Do you have any funny stories to share with us?
4: Well, the best prank I think we've done we went to the UAE and James Taylor was still playing at this point. He's a real small guy, a bit like a jockey um, in horse racing, really small. And we went out and he, he thought he got a brand new delivery from his sponsor, Cray Nickel. so he was talking it up all day. Oh, I've got this brand new bat coming. I've got these new pads and new gloves coming. But what he didn't know is we'd been to the little shop next door and bought him the tiny bats and the tiny pads for kids from about ages five to six. So they were really small. Um, and then when they turned up, we put them in a big box. So he was right excited, thinking, oh, I can't believe I've got all this new stuff. And when he opened it, he was so disappointed to find these tiny signature bats and signature pads. And we made him put them on. And funny enough, they didn't actually fit him that bad. So um, <laughs> that, that was probably the best prank we've done.
1: Well, we're going to come now to the, the World Cup. So 29 World Cup, 2019 World Cup. How did you feel individually and as a team uh, approaching the tournament?
4: Really confident, actually. I know, obviously, it's probably easy to say that, but we'd beaten everybody. I think we'd only lost one series, and that was in India away. We could have actually won that series as well. So to beat everybody around the world, going into a home series would honestly wipe the floor of everyone, even at home. So to go into that series, we were supremely confident that, you know, we could do this. We believed in each other. We believed in the support staff, the coach. The captain, you know, we had run through a brick wall for Owen Morgan. The rest of the lads were exactly the same. We believed we had Joffrey Archer just coming to the squad. We had this, you know, this superstar player just coming in as well. So we we believed we had all the the right people in place to to win it. So um, before the tournament, we were extremely confident and, and not everybody, you know, built us up as favourites. But I didn't actually feel like. That weighed us down or we didn't think about it that much. I just was like, yeah, I expect us to win because I truly believe we are the best team out there. It wasn't, it wasn't arrogance or anything. It was just confidence.
3: You had a great tournament and you beat a lot of teams comfortably. Did you feel as the tournament progress that you could win it?
4: Well, we needed to really because we lost a couple of games in the middle and then we had probably four, four or five games left to the final so it was basically like a knockout competition. We needed to win every game to make sure we got to the final. And then we we beat everyone, we beat India, New Zealand, then we beat Australia in the semifinal, and then we won the final. So four games. And we in the, those moments where it was like sort of um, you know, bust, we could, we've got to go for an, our, our bust here to be able to stand up like that and come through those hard times showed the character of the team. And um, I'll never forget that India game where Jason Roy and Johnny Bester went out and they just smashed the ball at all parts, and it, you know that was something that I won't forget. Thinking, you know, we're under massive pressure here. Everybody's, you know, talking about how much we're up against it, and they just went out there with the freedom to just smash it and carry on the way that we had played for four years. That was that was good to watch.
3: You smashed Australia in the semi-final to set. Yeah, we did. Dealing.
4: Sorry, repeat. Say that again. <laughs>
3: You smashed Australia in the semi-final. Oh, one more time. Come on, one more time. <laughs> you smashed Australia in the semi-final to set up a final against New Zealand at Lords. How did you feel the morning of the game and when did the nerves set in?
4: So we smashed Australia. Um, that was a, one of the best days um, I've ever been involved in with England go to the final honestly the couple of days before i felt okay um i felt a little bit nervous but not too bad and then it wasn't until i started to see the banners around the stadium they put banners in the stadium of 2019 world cup final and they started to put that around and then i was like wow this is actually happening this is this is it this is the final again i slept all right um on my test debut i slept really bad i was nervous thinking what it could be like but we were sort of into the tournament by that stage and you know we been through everything, so I wasn't I wasn't that dissimilar or feeling that different. So I slept okay in the morning the game, it was all right, but then the toss was delayed because there was a little bit of rain around. So we had to move the game back a little bit. And when they move the game back, you then have an extra 20 minutes, half an hour of just waiting around. So I didn't know what to do. I was thinking, well, should I bowl a little bit more? No, because I don't want to waste any more energy. Should I take some catches? No, because I don't want to, you know, smash my finger up or anything like that before the game. You know, I've done my catches, I don't want to do any more just for the sake of it. So I just sort of stood in the middle of the field (laughs) for like ten minutes, just looking around, thinking, wow, this is the World Cup final. And you know, that was probably when it sunk in the most for me that, you know, here we go, this this is it.
3: Ben Stokes batted really well and with one ball to go in the game, you came into bat. I have a few questions to ask you about this. (laughs) Why did you wear all of your kick? (laughs) Say to Ben Stokes, and when you ran the first run and turned for the second, why did you turn like you were pulling
4: (laughs) 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 Great questions. Firstly, yep, I was wearing far too much stuff, all my protective equipment even my chest guard, my arm guard, my thigh pads. I didn't need any of it, but I was just that nervous. And, you know, the whole occasion just probably got a bit too much for me. None of my teammates decided to stop me, by the way, so they should take as much blame as me. Um, I ran out the door trying to sprint as quick as I could, so I was nice and warm and ready to go. I got to Stokesy, and I'd said something stupid like, um, good luck, mate, or all the best, or what we're going to do, and he just sort of looked at me and just, yeah, with disgust, really. With, like, come on, mate! Like, it's the World Cup final. You know exactly what you've got to do. Just run as hard as you can. And yeah, my opinion was, I thought he was going to try and smash it out the ground like he had done before. But you know, in that moment, it was good thinking by him to try and knock it. He thought, if I can knock it wide of this guy, we'll get two, and it'll be nice and easy. But like you say, he didn't realise he was running with the man that runs in sand, and I turned, you know, slower than the Titanic and just couldn't get back he hit it too good to the field down and I, I couldn't run that fast so i put in a terrible dive as well i mean people obviously that is one of the most iconic moments of the game and i, I can't watch it every time i watch it, i think that dive is is embarrassing <laughs> so you know i probably stuck to the floor i had that much stuff on I had a torn side and then i was just lying in the dirt and then get up and i go and give stokes a bit of a hug and say well played i mean. How bad is that as well? Oh, well played, mate. I mean, you, you just kept winning the World Cup final, but come here, give us a cuddle. Probably not the best thing to do, but um, I just thought he played so well and I just wanted him to know that, you know, we were all really appreciative.
1: And then obviously you went to a, a super over. Who was doing the talking and obviously you mentioned you were injured, but if you weren't injured, would you have bowled or was it always going to be Joffre?
4: I think it was always going to be Joffre. You know, I think it would have been Joffre and then Wooksy would have been the other candidate. But, you know, Joffre had done it you know, franchise cricket around the world before he come from England to England, um, so he was used to that pressure and doing that role. He's our quickest, you know, quickest bowler that was that could do it in that moment. Obviously, I was injured, so Joffre was the man. I think to try and not just keep the runs down, but he was the best chance of getting a wicket. I think as well. If he if you get two wickets, obviously that's it as well. So he was our best chance. I think and and Morgie trusted him, and and that was the way we were going to go in the dressing room. It was just everyone was scrambling really. People were scrambling for kit. People were, you know, trying to get things in order. We were in the game, out the game, in the game, out the game. And then now that we're fully back in it, and we know that we're in it. Everyone's a bit excited and, and raring to go again and the nerves are going and that all that energy's back. Ali Dar was in the room because, believe it or not, not many people knew the rules for the for the Super Rover. I was trying to tell the umpire which he had, it was the last thing on his mind and he didn't care. I just said, look, I can't go out on field because I've torn my side. I can't throw the ball. Um, And he sort of just shrugged me off and went, yes, 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 yes. So, um, unfortunately, I had to go to James Vince and say, Vinci, I'm really sorry, but can you go on the field in the World Cup final and field for me? No pressure, but uh, (laughs) you're going to have to go on. So, on on trudge, James Vince for me. And I had to watch from the sidelines, which was awful.
3: What did you do after you won the World Cup? It must have been a great night out.
4: It was fantastic, yeah. I mean, me and Joss Butler wrote a team song on Joss Butler's cricket bat and we everybody sung from this cricket bat in the dressing room in lords all the family and friends came in and everyone had a drink together and we celebrated it was lovely when morgan pulled the whole team together at one point just us in the corner of the dressing room and give a lovely speech about you know that we've finally done it and look back and be really proud of ourselves and that was really good I, I still remember on the podium actually when he went up to get the trophy we all did the sort of Champions League football, oh, and then he lifted the trophy. That was that was good. But the celebrations, we went back to the hotel um, where all the family were again, and we stayed in the bar together at the hotel in a private bid, which was great. Ben Stokes had, I think, nine hours sleep in three days. So he he obviously celebrated really hard. Um, the next day, we had to go to the Oval. Stokes, he hadn't been asleep at all. Um, James Vince hadn't been asleep at all. Um, a couple of others laying plunked, none of them had gone to sleep. But me being a tea total guy, I, I'm not a drinker, I just drink water. Um, I was as fresh as a daisy. So we were getting all these team pictures, but I was smiling, happy and and very fresh. And a lot of the boys looked a little bit green and a little bit worse for wear. But we went the next day to um, Downing Street. We went to see the, the Prime Minister, which was which was really nice. But again, you have to be very quiet and respectful in Downland Street and a couple of boys were worse for wear and started singing in 10 Downing Street started singing the team song again um, and they quickly pushed us out and mm-hmm. said right that's enough get out but again great times
1: we spoke to Matthew Hoggard a few well, last year now on the podcast mm-hmm. and he talked about when they win the Ashes in 2005 obviously that famous when they went to the down the Street the day after and there's Freddie and Peterson who looking looking yeah. worse for wear um so there was none of that then. No, that was that was
4: nobody had wrote any vile stuff on anyone's head. Um but yeah, there was still a few. I remember Lane Plunkett was um he ate what must have been three trays of crisps um because he was that hungry because he'd all he'd been doing was drinking. So he'd piled in the, the posh crisps and down street and and um, there was a few others, you know, singing and jumping around the gardens and down the street and a couple of times. People had to be asked to calm down a little bit. Um it was just a bit crazy.
1: Would that have been Boris Johnson or Theresa May?
4: It was Theresa May. So Theresa May was the one that we met. She congratulated us and New Zealand, actually, to be fair. She did say well done to both teams for an amazing final. New Zealand weren't there, but she, she made a point to say, look, it was in great spirits and um, it was a great match. Obviously, it was a great match for everyone else. It wasn't great for us being involved in it. I mean, <laughs> my heart rate must've been 190 every every hour for, what, eight hours? It was terrible.
0: The Henshaws Insurance Group is one of the top 100 independent insurance brokers in the country and is here to bring you peace in mind. We've been in business for over 50 years and have offices in Newport, Shrewsbury and Stafford. Our 45 plus strong team deals with both business and personal insurance and we offer a free, no obligation, consultations and quotations. So give us a call today.
3: The last few years have been difficult for the test team. Mm. How did you find playing for England over the last two years with the COVID restrictions?
4: It's a good question, but I think I think I found it okay. I think you know, coming from Ashington in the northeast, where it's an old mining town, it often puts it in perspective. You know that like you could be, you know, in the freezing cold or down a mine or something like that. We were always staying in fantastic hotels. Everybody always looks after you really well. The hardest bit's probably being away from your family in, in the bubble bits. That's probably the toughest bit. But actually, for the from the cricket side of things, you're always looked after really well. Nice food, nice people, nice hotel, nice beds. Like I mentioned before, you fly business class. So you are always looked after really well. And it's been tough because the results haven't been good. It's not through a lack of effort and, or anything like that. And everybody's always proud to represent England and give their best. But unfortunately we've just come up on the wrong side. So we've got to not let the bubble situation come as an excuse because it's been the same for all that teams. Um I think enough of the excuses now we have to, you know, front up and, and look at each other individually and and you know front up a little bit and, and, and not make any excuses.
3: The recent Ashes series didn't go very well for England as you lost four oh, la, 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 la. <laughs> zero. What what was your first experience of playing in the Ashes series in Australia like?
4: Um it was good, actually. It was, you know, it was it was good. It was proud to play over there and represent England. Like I mentioned, being at home, it's iconic, isn't it, to, to play in that series and it wasn't great in terms of the result, but I was personally I was still proud to represent England in Australia. I mean the, the Aussie fans are a little bit different. They have a, a few different choice words to say to you. Not that funny, but nevertheless, they still like to see them. So it was good to have a bit of banter with the crowd and the wickets are fast wickets. So I, obviously I enjoyed bowling on the faster wickets, but it's never nice when you're getting beat. So that side of things was tough. But to, to play in another iconic series, you know, to tell my son when he grows up that, you know, I played in Australia for England is is something that I'll cherish.
3: Can you put your finger on what hap- what went wrong for England in Australia?
4: Oh, yeah! Full of the tough questions. Uh, <laughs> that's a good one. Well, we didn't take twenty wickets enough, and we didn't get enough runs. You know, the batsmen came under a lot of fire that we weren't getting enough runs. But also, as well as a bowling group, we didn't. We only took twenty wickets, I think, in one game. So all round, we were we were beat on on every facet. Really, we didn't. They scored more runs. They took more wickets, and they fielded better than us. So you know, if, if one of those facets are down, you've got a chance, but if all three are down, you're never gonna win games. So we showed plenty of fight, I feel in the Sydney game, but you know, in terms of skill level, we were we were outplayed in, in four matches. Uh well you could even say we were outskilled in five matches and we, we just weren't up to up to the level required really.
3: Why has England's one day team been so successful over the recent year, but England's test team have struggled great
4: again good question i think you know the one day team has been set up for a while in a great place it's had that longevity since 2015 of how we want to play how we're gonna you know go about things and and everybody sort of buys into that as its side i think the test match team has gone through different transitions you know different people coming in and out the side whereas the one day team's been very settled and i think you know the test team although it's come under fire recently. You know, we still won in Sri Lanka, we won in South Africa, and they're not easy places to win. So from a leadership point of view, I know Root and Silverwood got a lot of stick, but it can't be that bad for us to to win in places like that because that's just not easy places to go. It just seems that we played, you know, tough teams and in tough conditions. We rotated our team a little bit with COVID and, and trying to keep everyone happy and things like that. But like you mentioned, you know, it has struggled and the one-day team has thrived on the fact that you know we've we've had build up to a World Cup where that's been the main team to look at. Um so that's and then over the last couple of years it's still cemented that same team and that same beliefs. And it's really well run by the Captain and Morgan. So that's probably why, but you know, there's no reason why the test team can't come good again now. We we just need a bit of momentum, you know, and and when we get a few wins on our belt, hopefully then you know, we can push back up the ladder and start get close to, to what the one-day team has.
1: So, the current testing and Joe Root has stepped down a week or two ago. Looking back at his yep. captaincy, he's one of England's most successful captains, most successful batsmen. How would you look back and what sort of captain was he?
4: He was honestly a really good captain. Um, one that, you know, if you look at all my best performances, they've been under Joe Root's captaincy. You know, my all my five fans have been under him. Um, He always showed belief in me. He always picked me, um, which I'll be thankful for. And, you know, a lot of what people see on the field, they don't see what goes on behind closed doors. He was putting in a lot of effort behind closed doors, extra sessions, trying to, you know, build the team culture up. He was trying to, you know, help individuals behind closed doors. He would often stay for extra sessions with Bolas to help bat. batten. He would talk things through. He'd do a lot of analysing. And, you know, when you're you're putting in so much extra work, it must eventually weigh you down. And he was desperately trying uh, to get that right. And then the same time around COVID, he was trying to look after people as well. So it was a tough job, I think, at certain points. And when you're not winning, obviously, he comes under scrutiny. But I I thought he was a really good captain and and one that, you know, I actually feel sorry for him because people didn't see the amount of work that he did behind closed doors to try and and put it right. I I truly did believe in him. I thought he was a, a good captain.
3: Ben Stokes has been named the new test captain. You have known Ben for a very long time. What sort of a captain will he be and can Ben and Rob Key work together to be successful?
4: Well, I certainly hope so. I think Stokesy is a natural leader, whether he's captain or not. I think he's always had leadership qualities. The way he trains, the way he plays, and um, people naturally follow that because he's such a hard worker and you know, his beliefs and things and the way people should go about things. People will to that anyway. Um, He never gives up. He always, you know, wants a team that believes in themselves and believes that can win. And I think, you know, the qualities that he has, the skill level, the qualities, his work ethic, he will drive those forward in the team naturally. So I think he'd be a really good captain from from that side of things. He's got a good cricket brain as well. So tactically, I think he'd be good. And, you know, he's a bit of a carer as well. I mean, often people see Stokes either think he's this alpha, big, strong guy and someone that I guess would just be like a a real tough taskmaster. But actually, he's a big carer as well. He's got that side of him and he he looks after people and wants people, you know, to, to be their best and to do well. And I think that side of him coupled with the other side will mean that he becomes a really good captain.
3: Is it right that you support Wimbledon because That's when right. you were younger, you found a Wimbledon football sticker of a player that looked like your dad?
4: That is right, yes. Yeah. So I had a sticker book. I used to collect this, the stickers when I was a kid. And my favourite colour was blue. So I could have supported Chelsea or Everton or Leicester or whoever. But I thought one of them in the Wimbledon team looked like my dad. I think it was the Keeper Hans Segas. He had a big moustache and my dad had a big moustache. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to support them. Most the, I've, I've got it quite good, though, because most of my family, they all support Newcastle. And my best friend, he supports Sunderland. So I get to stay out of their arguments when they start arguing about football. And it's just a shame. This year, Wimbledon's actually been relegated. So I'm in a bit of a downer at the minute, but um, I'm sure they'll bounce back.
3: Is it true you can whistle the University Challenge theme song?
4: I can. <laughs> so, so I'm going to go for it, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> very good what would your um, if you were on University Challenge what would your special category be oh I don't know if I'd brighten up anything on
4: University Challenge but if I had to pick one well I like the show Friends so I like watching Friends I like it would have to be like 90s football I guess as well I, I think I could do all right 90, 2000s football late 90s early 2000s and
1: I like my my rock
4: music so maybe they would be my three categories
1: you strike me as a bit of a Chandler Bing. <laughs> maybe. Maybe, yeah, that would probably be the guy that I would probably be most
4: like. Maybe, or maybe the geeky side of us, i maybe get a bit of Ross in there, I don't know.
1: <laughs>
3: one of the most important things in cricket are the teas. Which ground has the best and worst tea? And what's what sort of things are you eating?
4: So the best one, I mean, Lords is obviously great because you get like amazing like five star michelin star kind of quality food edge baston so birmingham that is awesome um the food's really nice there um the kind of things you're getting obviously now it's all you know done for us by chefs who are looking after us to make sure we're eating the right things but chicken fish you know mince or beef for meat and then you have your your vegetables piling in vegetables and funny enough a lot of people when they're trying to you know have that beach body where all our abs are shorn and all our muscles. They tend to just eat meat and veg, but actually we have to eat a lot of carbohydrates as well to make sure we've got a lot of energy. So we we'll eat a lot of potatoes and rice and pasta and things like that, just to make sure that we've got plenty of fuel and energy. Um, the worst, well, the only one I can think of that was bad for me is we recently played in India and we stayed in the Ahmedabad hotel and a couple of us got sick from the food. So I'm going to have to say that aren't I? because if you get sick from the food, then, you're gonna to have to say that. So I got sick there. So I'm gonna say that was the worst.
1: Does it also make a difference if if you're bowling first, and then do you have a, a big tea because you're obviously batting down the order? Absolutely.
4: Yeah, I said <laughs> right there. If you
1: if you if you know that you've just finished bowling and then
4: the tea comes round and you get to put your feet up for a while, you're going back for seconds. You may even have <laughs> thirds. You're in as much as you can just to make yourself feel good. And if I, if I was that... to have a cheat or something that are something like a little bit sweet, if you give me Ferrero Rochers, I will nail the whole box in ten minutes.
3: <laughs> oh, same, same. Forever. top
4: draw, aren't there? Top draw.
3: Yeah. We heard that you are a true hero for rabbits everywhere. Did you recently go and save a group of rabbits?
4: I hell do you know that. <laughs> <laughs> Connections everywhere.
1: Yeah. Uh,
4: yeah, there was a few rabbits by the side of the road and, um, yeah, it was frightened. they got knocked over. So I got a box and I was going to go and pick them up but luckily they just ran back in the bush. So, yeah, I was going to be like Steve Irwin instead of being, you know, chasing crocodiles or snakes. I was chasing rabbits, trying to trying to protect them.
3: Before we finish, we would like to play a quick fire game with you. We will ask you some questions but you have to give the wrong answer only. Right. Are you ready? Yeah. Remember, wrong answers only. Favourite food. Frayer rushes. Best stadium.
4: Oh no, we've got to start that again. It's wrong answers, isn't it? Yeah. Right, favorite food? Me
3: <laughs> Best stadium you have played at?
4: Uh, the garages at the back of my mum and dad's house.
3: <laughs> best player you have ever got out.
4: Uh Barry McCarthy from Ireland. The
3: best thing about Markwood is.
4: I picked my nose.
3: what number should you bat in england's test team
4: Uh, number one obviously
3: what what is your dream job
4: working down a mine
3: what is the highlight of your career
4: being injured 355
1: times
3: (laughs) finish this sentence mark wood is the
1: uh beeswax (laughs) (laughs) mark so each week on the podcast we always get our guests to ask the next guest a question on the podcast but they don't know who the question is going to be for they, they just ask a random question but this yeah. question comes from our guest last week who was former Wolves and Cardiff City manager Dave Jones mm-hmm. and he asks what is the worst thing you've ever done in your sport what's the worst thing you've ever done in cricket
4: falling over when I ball funny enough and I do that quite a lot but I've, I've had to start wearing knee pads because I fall over that much that it starts to graze my, my knees all the time so the worst thing About bowling fast is that I fall over far too much and I've now looked like I'm some sort of WWE wrestler when I run (laughs) into ball.
3: Mark, could you think of a question that we can ask our next guest, please? However, we are not going to tell you who our next guest is. The question can be anything at all.
4: Right, so I'll give you one from my podcast that's always a good one. You have to ask who that favourite TV owl is. Owl. Owl. Owl, yeah. (laughs)
1: <laughs> nice. well, who, who's your favourite TV owl
4: Hedwig from Harry Potter, Harry Potter. Yeah. or you could say who's your favourite TV dog because we say owl on my podcast so why don't you say who's your favourite TV dog on your mm-hmm. podcast
3: I would just like to say a big thank you again to everyone who listens to our podcast we really appreciate it please continue to leave reviews and pass our podcast on to your friends and family Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today, Mark. We really enjoyed speaking with you and it means so much to us as a school to be able to have this opportunity to speak with you.
0: Thank you.
4: Thank you so much for me on. Honestly, I've really enjoyed it. You've been brilliant. Great questions as well.
0: Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the TWS Sports Podcast. Please follow us on social media by searching TWS Sports Podcast. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok and YouTube. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel where you can watch some of our episodes in full. If you are listening to this on your iPhone, can you please go and give us a rein and review it? It really helps to grow our show. Thank you and see you next week. The TWS Sports Podcast combines autism and sport. This unique podcast is hosted by children with autism and each week they interview famous sportsmen and women from around the world. The TWS Sports Podcast takes you deep into the sports star's career, their highs and lows, what happens away from the field of play, and so much more. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. The TWS Sports Podcast, where autism and sports combine.
1: Podcast Network.